Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. I hope you've had a great week and are preparing for the weekend. One that'll be full of Ducks hockey as the team has games both on Saturday and Sunday on the road. Now, besides those games, I'm definitely going to be taking some time to get the rest of my holiday decorations up. I was able to get my tree, and I have to tell you, I am a real tree person, not an artificial tree person. Growing up in Ohio, it was one of my favorite traditions to go to the Christmas tree farm and cut down our Christmas tree with my dad and two siblings. And I was able to do it while I was at home just a couple weeks ago. So of course I had to find a real tree for my very first California Christmas out here. And I'm excited to now get some ornaments for it. But with it officially being December now, it's time to take a look back at the month of November for the Anaheim Ducks. They had 14 total games and they find themselves, unfortunately, at the bottom of the standings, not only for the Pacific Division, but also for the NHL. Four wins in the month of November, with three of those being an extra time and the only regulation win coming against the New York Rangers. So let's go through a couple of the things to note throughout the month. Troy Terry led the team in points with 14. He was also the shots leader, taking 52 of them through the month. One of the things that really stands out about Terry is his ability to take different shots on the ice. It's something that he's worked on. Also, he averaged a point per game. So another positive to take away for Terry. Right behind him was Trevor Zegris with 13 points, followed by Adam Henrique and Cam Fowler, both tied with 11 points. One thing to note, and something that doesn't come as a surprise, is it's been talked about so much with this team, the struggles on special teams. Not only the power play, but also the penalty kill. The power play was only able to net eight total goals through the month, while they allowed 16 total power play goals well on the penalty kill. We have seen the discipline from this group being able to stay out of the penalty box in certain games, but there's also been a lot of big moments where they have given up a penalty resulting in a goal, giving the momentum to the other team. So special teams just seems to be an ongoing process for this group trying to figure that out. Now, another thing that did hurt the team in the month of November, many changes in the lineup. A lot of guys coming in and out with injuries, Kevin Shattenkirk being one of them. We know Jamie Drysdale is out for certainly a couple months with his injury, different players being called up from the San Diego Gulls as well. So the lineups were just ever changing and evolving throughout the month which certainly can happen, but it doesn't necessarily help the chemistry of the team all the time. And particularly with those lines as they work maybe with different players and try to figure out their comfortability on the ice. Another area that the Ducks struggled on, giving up a lot of shots on net. John Gibson and Anthony Stollers have faced a ton of shots and for what they have been dealt, it's been impressive to see a lot of the saves that the two of them have both made. 
Head coach Dallas Akins has noted, though, that he does see the fight that this team has. Even when they go down in certain games, it doesn't seem like they ever want to give up. Something that I've noticed as well in some big moments. And I think that speaks a lot to the character of this group of guys. Another thing that Dallas has emphasized a lot is the importance of zone entrances and exits for this group. It's a big part of hockey and something that the team is really working on. I will say we have learned a lot about this group. The first set of games was a tough go, especially having that road trip right after the beginning of the season. But it seems that this last bit of games, we've seen a lot of improvements from the team. As we look ahead now to the month of December, where there are six home games and eight road games. Now, there are a lot of home games around the holidays, which is great. So players will be able to relax and stay in their own homes. Also being able to play home at Honda Center. I think that always helps the mentality because the road is such a grind, especially in the National Hockey League. One thing I do want to note coming up in the month of December, December 6th, our game on Tuesday will be Star Wars night. So if you're coming out to that game, get ready for all the very cool fan engagements that will be taking place that night. But let's look ahead to the rest of this road trip for the Ducks. They will head to Minnesota on Saturday for an early 11 a.m. game, followed by a noon game on Sunday in Winnipeg. A lot of hockey in 24 hours, and it will be important for the Ducks to manage their rest, especially today, that being Friday. You can listen to those games right here on DuckStream, as always, with the call by Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. It's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL. Beginning with the Buffalo Sabres and Detroit Red Wings game on Wednesday night, Buffalo had a three-goal lead heading into the third period, but Detroit tried to flip the script, forcing overtime. The Sabres were able to close it out, though, in a shootout. However, during this game, Sabres goaltender Craig Anderson had a huge save in the second period when they had a 4-1 to lead. One interesting tidbit, 20 years ago, exactly from that day on Wednesday, he made his NHL debut. So flash forward to this present time, during the game on Wednesday, he even had an assist on one of the goals. Pretty cool for goaltender Craig Anderson. The shootout winner came from Jack Quinn for the Sabres. He dangled his way past Alex Nedeljkovic. You can listen to the two calls now from Red Wings' Ken Cal. Down low it goes to Sunquist. Not a Perron, left circle to Sunquist. In the slot, Larkin to Kubalik. Oh, what a great club save by Anderson. He robbed Kubalik of a goal. So Nedeljkovic looking on. He's got to make the save here. Quinn over to the right wing boards, cuts in, shoots the puck and scores. Oh, he pulled Nadelkovic, hung on to it at the last second, slid it into the net, and the Buffalo Sabres win the shootout one to nothing. And the final score tonight, Buffalo five and the Red Wings four. Next on Wednesday night, the Edmonton Oilers and Chicago Blackhawks faced off. This was a high-scoring game between these two teams. As we often see with the Edmonton Oilers, a very offensive-minded group. A 5-4 win for Edmonton. Leon Dreisaitl had a three-point night, including two goals. One of them on a great passing play with Connor McDavid. 
41 points. No surprise coming from the superstar. Now, I will say the Blackhawks have really been struggling as of late. The month of November was a tough one for them as they only won two games. Jack Michaels has the call for the Oilers. Into the Oiler end. To McCabe in the corner, taken away by CeCe. Up to Hyman, he'll get it out. Maybe a rush for the Oilers. McCabe, or McDavid, across. Dry side, all scores! Connor McDavid, across the Leon dry side, and the Oilers are up 5-3. Next up, the Toronto Maple Leafs continue their recent surge with their fifth win in a row to close out the month of November when they hosted the Sharks on Wednesday. Austin Matthews kicked off the scoring with an icebreaker four minutes and 19 seconds into the first period. Now, the Leafs did go on to win this game three to one. Hear the goal call from Leafs radio play-by-play, Joe Bowen. Here's a bouncing puck in front of the Sharks goal that is knocked into the corner by Nylander. Set it in front. Oh, big save. Made there. Another shot. They score! Matthews in front of the goal. After bunting at a tremendous chance, but a great setup by Mac Hallwell. And Big Mac finds Big Matthews. Mitch Marner is absolutely tearing it up in Toronto as he is currently on an 18 game point streak. This is tied for the most in Leafs history. He scored on an empty net on Wednesday to keep that streak alive. Now he's tied with Daryl Sitter as well as Eddie Olchek right now for that record in Toronto. Pretty cool too, as Marner grew up in the Toronto area. So you can imagine that this is something special for him. He will have the chance to break the record on Saturday night. And the last game that I want to look at, the New York Rangers and Ottawa Senators facing off Wednesday night. New York coming away with a 3-1 win. The Rangers have been a bit surprising this season, not exactly having the success that they did last year. Now, granted, this group was supposed to be in a rebuild mode, but seemingly skipped that last year, finding their playoff success. So it seems like they've kind of taken a couple steps back, despite the fact that they are still getting a lot of production out of their top guys. Chris Kreider being one of those guys, and he netted goal number three by deflecting it into the net, having positioned himself right in front of Cam Talbot. The Rangers control the draw, send it back up with Zibanejad. Up the middle, leaves it back into the far wing for Vesey. Spins to his forehand, then backhands it behind the net to Zibanejad. Zibanejad slings it to the near point, and lingering with a shot, and they score! Kreider was in front, I think he deflected it, and the Rangers take a 3-1 lead. Let's take a look at some other things happening around the National Hockey League. Vegas Golden Knights goaltender Logan Thompson was named the Rookie of the Month for the month of November. The NHL announced... He had a record of 8-2 with a 2.88 goals against average. This certainly helped keep Vegas at the top of the Pacific and the Western Conference standings. They are very dangerous this season. As we've gotten through a quarter of this season, I just want to note some of the top performers and some of the categories across the league. On the rookie end, Maddie Beneers leads the top with 20 points. Points in his last five games right now. I shared early in this season how I was excited to see his transition to the NHL full time. And I think it's been pretty seamless. He's been a star for Seattle so far. Pretty much what they expected. And he has nine goals and 12 assists 
in those 20 points, getting really good experience with his line. So I expect this to continue throughout the season. On the defensive end, Eric Carlson has had a resurgence this season, leading all defensemen in the NHL with 32 points at the age of 32 right now. A guy that has been in the league since 2009. Now, last season, he did have 35 points in total. So the fact that he is already at 32 right now is pretty impressive. And one more thing I'd like to add in coast to coast, a team that has been surprising this season, Winnipeg. And I think that a lot of their success is due to goaltender Connor Hallibuck, who has kept them in a lot of their games. He currently has an 11-5-1 record with a 2.29 goals against average. And the Jets are at the top of the Central Division battling for that spot with Dallas. Now the Ducks will visit them on Sunday, and the Ducks already played them back on October 17th to a close game, falling just 3-2. So keep your eye out for that game on Sunday. Our very first two-time guest joins Light the Lamp now. Allie Lozoff jumped on while at Morning Skate ahead of the Dallas game to give updates from the road. She also shared more on her conversations with some of the Ducks players. Listen in in this next segment. Joining us now is our very own Anaheim Ducks reporter, Allie Lozoff. Allie, great to have you on Duckstream now for the second time. Where are you coming to us from? And I guess, how is the weather there? Hi, good morning from <laughs> Dallas, where it is Christmas. I, I've never seen so many Christmas trees in a hotel before. I think it counted like 25 on the way out to the bus this morning, but uh, it's, it's a lovely morning here for hockey. I hope you can hear my favorite sounds behind me. I'm here at the American Airlines Center getting set for game time tonight. The Dallas Stars are clearly taking the option in optional skate. There's not many of them out there, but uh, I'll catch up with a couple of them after morning skate. And then our guys will hop on shortly after that. Well, let's go back to the first game of this road trip in Nashville on Tuesday night. Obviously a tough night for the team falling in overtime. But what was your takeaway from this game in terms of how they looked on the ice and, uh, you know, how the atmosphere was in Nashville finally getting a, a game to be able to be played in the arena? Yeah, this was incredible. Uh, like we went in the morning and I, we could not even tell hardly that there had been such water damage from the flood a couple days prior. So kudos to them for getting the rink ready. It was really amazing, especially from my position where I'm stationed down at the event level. Apparently there had been up to three feet of water in some areas, mm -hmm. but you really couldn't tell. It was amazing that we were able to do everything so seamlessly. There were like holes in some of the drywall and the floorboards. Like clearly they're going to do a lot of, you know, um, upkeep renovation or whatever they have to do to, to sort that out. But it, it was really for us, you know, a regular game day. Um, that is a unique rink where my position is sort of in between the hallway is sort of in between two locker rooms where the players are constantly in and out of. So I like that spot because I always like to gauge in between periods, sort of what the mood is, what the feeling is and how um, the team is doing. And obviously throughout that game, it was strong. It was good. Vakanainen came out after the first period. He's so funny. He was, he, you know, he's so hard on himself and he kind of came over and said to me like, you know, that, that wasn't my strongest period of hockey. Mm -hmm. I was like, you just go 
yourself back. <laughs> Give yourself a chance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes after missing 22 games. So, um, but he, I, he had a, a solid um, first game back and obviously it was disappointing the way it ended, but um, you know, you could tell that they were um, battling there right till the end. With Vakaninen, I mean, how exciting it was for him to finally get back out on the ice. And I know you shared a really cool story about him on the TV broadcast, but I'd love for the people that are listening now to be able to hear that same story about him picking up the hobby of curling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he'll continue that now that he's back into hockey, but it was, it's just great. You know, in the morning after skate, um, oftentimes players are quick to get out on the bus and get back to the hotel to get ready for the game. But, um, Bax was still in there. Bax is, uh, what his teammates call him. It's just easier than I guess, Vakanainen. And I, <laughs> I have to say though, I fully commit to his name every time I say it, Urho Vakanainen, because I feel like he deserves the, the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, I caught up with him. He had a big smile on his face. He was clearly excited to be back. Um, he's not usually, you know, he's, he's softer spoken, but, um, you know, he did tell me that he, he started to feel a little bit lonely because the team had been on the road so much to start the season. And then he shared with me that he'd become quite close with, um, you know, the skills and skating development coach, Larry Barron back at home and that they had been curling with <laughs> hockey pucks during some of their time together. <laughs> Um, which sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to know the rules to that, you know, version of it. But um, he had said he had he'd gotten gotten into that hobby with with Larry Barron back at home. But he was uh, glad to be back playing actual hockey with his teammates, obviously. Um, and, you know, like I said before, he he kind of set as a goal just to have a solid game back. It is going. I thought it was really perfectly paired um, a perfect pairing for him to be with Kevin Shattenkirk, who mm-hmm. also was you know, a couple games in from having missed a few himself and just a veteran in the league. That's a really good communicator out on the ice. So that was a good, um, and he's played with him before last season. So he's had, had some chemistry with him as well, which is always important. So everybody was excited to have him back. Now, one of the big leaders for this group, I mean, we talk about him all the time, Troy Terry. I mean, he has just meant so much to this group. It seems like off the ice and on the ice this season, leading them in points with 24 right now, goals in the past two games. How much have you seen him emerge this season? It's been, it's it's really, to me, happened so quickly I think like how how much he's matured as Mm -hmm. a leader and how much he's emerged as a voice in that room um and someone who we can count on as a broadcast team when the season is challenging to come out and give us a fair sort of um, assessment of their performance night in and night out and um you know that's something we can talk about and just how we how we uh, choose who we're going to speak with after games but where Terry may not have been the, the person to come out after a loss every time last season and, and, and talk about it. Now he's one of the first guys we go to, and he was clearly frustrated after that Nashville game. Mm-hmm. But I think the big difference too, in just his delivery of, of his post-game um, kind of notes was a, a clear indicator of how much he's evolved as a, as a player, because where he used to overthink things and really get in his own head and probably beat himself up for who knows, like I'm, until now uh, about the national game, I'm sure that he came out, spoke about it, put it behind him, moved on, is ready to go tonight because he's just changed his, his mental approach to, to the game. Um, and I 
I'm so excited to take this moment and say congratulations to him and Danny because he's going to be a dad. Yes, yes. And I've been holding this in. I might be like the the, the person who's most excited after the two of them. <laughs> yes, he just I, announced he told me that. about this some time ago. Yeah, he they just announced it, and I was like pressuring him all the time. Like, when are you going to announce it? When are you going to? I'm so I was so excited to share the news. Uh, he had told me about it a while ago, and he actually was was telling me on the last road trip that he was excited to go home and do this maternity uh, well I guess it's a birth announcement photo shoot um with his wife Danny and uh it was going to be the, ne- the the day after our our uh, our last road trip and he said I went out and I bought a dad hat Aww. and he was so excited <laughs> for, for for that and I'm just so excited for them and and that's part of it right I mean like to watch his evolution off the ice as you know getting married and now going to become a dad it's just been really special and we're so happy for the Terry's um, and and what's going on with their lives off the ice. That is one thing that is very impressive about a lot of these guys is their ability, you know, to juggle life off the ice too, because their schedules are so crazy during the week with practice and games, but then also, you know, having the time off the ice with a lot of them having families and for Troy, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that will be, uh, you know, a really exciting and new adjustment for him once they do have their child too. And I know that you know a lot about that as well, especially it's tough on the road in moments like this, you know, you're away from your family, but it's always impressive to see how well everyone, you know, handles that part of their life too. It it is. And, and it, it can get hectic like this three week stretch. I think we have um, like maybe four or uh, I think it's four, uh, sort of practice or off days in this three week stretch at home. Um, you know, when you think about it, getting all your Christmas shopping fit in and then also <laughs> bonding time and whatever other errands pile up when you're on the road is it's a, it's a tight crunch, but, um, but then there's longer stretches in the season as it works out where you're home for like a period of three weeks and you can, you can have a more regular balanced life. But it's always such a nice, especially in the ups and downs of a season, it's always such a nice relief to have, you know, something so exciting happening in your life off the ice. And he's shared with me too before that, um, and, and this is messaging, you know, from his, his lovely wife, Danny, where, you know, he reminds himself he's, he's more than just a hockey player, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what he does for a living, but he's more than that as a person off the ice, he's got a complete life going on and, and now introducing, Dad life into the mix is going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll have a lot, a lot of advice to impart on, on, on him. <laughs> I've already been sharing my, my sleep training advice with the Fowlers. So, so we'll see uh, if any, anyone else needs some help. I can help out. Well, one other thing that I definitely want to touch on, and people probably don't know much about this process, but when you are able to interview players during a game and how you're able to pick out who you're going to talk to, whether it's during the game, after the game, uh, and even, you know, in your preparation to get ready for these games, kind of teaching us a little bit about your role as a reporter, how you guys make those decisions in game. I love that you're asking this because I think it's so interesting for the viewers to get this kind of back behind the scenes background info uh, to know how, how we do this because it isn't just, you know, grabbing whoever was the first person off the ice or a lot of the times people think, Oh, you're just, you know, you go with a goal scorer. Um, and that, I, I don't know how everybody does it. That might be true, but the, the relationship we have 
um, with the, the PR staff, Alex Gilchrist, Steve Brown. It's just, we have a really great communication stream going with our producer, Bob Sipowicz also. Um, and we discuss starting, I would say, sometimes midway through a period, we'll start um, in a text chain, just bouncing ideas off each other of, of, of what the trends in the game are and who we're leaning towards talking to. And obviously, you've got to be flexible up until the very last second sometimes of the period with who you might want to interview, which is exciting for me as a ringside reporter, because I love always, you know, you can't, you, you, obviously you have in mind a player who you'd like to talk with and some questions that you might want to ask, but Mm -hmm. it it can go down to the wire. And I love that about my job is always being flexible and having to have these conversations happen naturally, you know, at the drop of a dime, but we will start talking about midway. Obviously we'll have a really good idea with, you know, about three, four, four or three minutes left in the period. Um, And then we'll make the call before the period is over of who we'd like to get. Now, we also try and keep in mind how many times we've requested certain players because mm-hmm. you also don't want to be, you know, abusing the, the, the privilege and asking for the same people over and over um, because you're taking them out of their routine and going into the room and having their meetings and discussions with their teammates and coaches. So that's something too. I'm, uh, I'm, you've seen my copious amount of notes that I take <laughs> during a game. Yes. So you can only imagine that I've got my spreadsheet of who I interview after which period and how many times so that I'm equally distributing the FaceTime among the whole group. Um, so that goes into it. There's, there's quite a few elements that go into it, but at the end of the day, you know, the most exciting thing for the fans is to hear from whoever, you know, was the most exciting player that period usually. So I always keep in mind, if I were at home watching this game, mm-hmm. who would I want to hear from and what would I want to hear? And that as, as the, um, I would say like the bigger picture of, of who we get. Would you say this is one of your favorite parts of being a ringside reporter? Uh, I, I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, I think too, back to when I used to watch hockey growing up and, and it just, for me, you know, it, this is a dream come true that I, that I get to do this for a living. And so if I can somehow make somebody else fall in love with the sport, the way I did by doing what I'm doing for a living, then, then I will have, you know, achieved part of my mission here. So, so yeah, it's definitely something I don't take for granted and I don't take lightly. And, and, you know, again, I'm happy you asked because I want people to know that a lot of thought goes into mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just like, Hey, you over there. <laughs> you talk. Although I will say that, you know, the, uh, uh, there are times when it is like a last minute audible, uh, you know, there are mm-hmm. some, sometimes a player needs treatment. And I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, know that until the very last moment. And then it's a little bit of a scramble to get, you know, whoever else, But again, the art of making sure that that person feels like they were the first choice (laughs) is also really important because you don't want someone coming out and and knowing where they're the second string. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, one more question before I let you go. I mean, this road trip has some good food spots. Nashville, <laughs> Dallas. I'm not sure about Minnesota and Winnipeg. I I can't speak to those two cities as much, but have you gotten to go out to any restaurants or try any good food while you're on the road so far? Um, uh, okay. So <laughs> since you have, you aren't sure about Minnesota or Winnipeg, those are like two that I'm very excited to tell you about. Oh, good, good. So, 
Um, first I'll say Winnipeg I discovered has an, for, well, I, I, I love poutine. I'm from mm-hmm. Montreal. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I was, this is dubious. Like, I'm not sure if it's going to be a real poutine when the last time we were in Winnipeg, I tried a curry poutine for mm. the first time. It was incredible. Like really, really, really delicious. Yes. At elephant and castle, I think is the restaurant that's kind of attached to the hotel because one thing about Winnipeg is you really don't want to go outside if you don't <laughs> I've you heard can that. avoid it yeah if you can avoid it I actually managed to never go outside when I'm there because the arenas you can get there through an indoor passageway, <laughs> passageway. <laughs> so aside from walking into the hotel from the bus I, I really don't get out much in Winnipeg but Elephant and Castle has a great curry poutine if anyone is interested in trying that and then in Minnesota there is at the St. Paul Hotel, which is this classic old hotel that I absolutely love, one of my favorites that we stay at throughout the season, there's this wild rice soup that somebody else years ago told me, you've got to try this soup. At, it's like, I guess, a trademark of the hotel where we stay. Mm. Um, and it's it's delicious. And I'm not like a soup kind of, I mean, it's not really like a regular dish that I, that I always get, mm-hmm. but it, they were, it's really, really good. So I can't remember who told me about it, another broadcaster. Um, but yes, that's a definite must try when you're in St. Paul. Good to know. Thank you for sharing those. Well, and let me know once you get back, if you're able to get to those places and have that food again. Uh, Ali Lozoff, thank you so much for joining us here on Duck Stream for a road report. Enjoy the rest of the road trip. Thank you. See you soon. And as always, it is time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show and the end of this week. The United States men's national soccer team will be playing Saturday morning in the World Cup against the Netherlands. This is going to be a 7 a.m. Pacific time game. A bit early for a Saturday, but why not get up, get your day going with some soccer. Cheer on the United States. This is the knockout stages, though, so the team has to win to advance. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. As always, come back again for more hockey talk here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.